We are in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It is the story of David and Goliath. Anybody heard it? Yeah, kind of familiar with this. These are tough preaches, just so you know. I like surprising you guys with stuff, but there's not a whole lot of surprises around this corner. David fights Goliath. Spoiler alert, David wins. Okay, uh, but it's, it's uh, 58 verses long. We're all glad I'm breaking this thing down a little bit. Uh, it's by far the most exhaustive and, and uh, uh, detailed account of any of the accounts in 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel or any of the history books that are the Samuels and the Kings and the Chronicles. It's just pervasive, and rightly so. It's a, it's a pivot in the life of David and Saul, uh, and it's a huge story for us uh, as people of faith to be encouraged by and admonished by. Uh, and so we're breaking it down into basically five or four parts. Last week we started with the fear. What were they afraid of? His name was, starts with G, sounds like Goliath. Goliath, you got that one. That's good. Well done, everybody. Uh, yeah, he's a nine and a half foot tall monster who has uh, essentially challenged uh, Israel to produce for themselves a champion. The right person for the job is the tallest guy in Israel at the time, a guy named Saul. He's their king. The reason he got the job was because they thought that uh, he could defend them against enemies like the Philistines. But Saul wants no part of it. The rest of the army is out as well. And so uh, they cower in fear. And we talked about fear and its effect and how we have a God who walks with us. He's our shepherd in the valley of the shadow of darkness and death, and he walks us through our fears. Anybody grateful for that? Yeah, we talked about that last week. Uh, we're going to have a couple more weeks. Next week, we're going to talk about the faith that is really the, 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 the hero of this story, is David's faith, not his ability to throw a rock at a high speed at a guy's forehead. That's the last week, the fight or the face-off. But it's his faith in a God who is able to overcome uh, this insurmountable uh, challenge, this, this, this victor, this champion of, of the Philistines uh, is felled by a shepherd boy. Wow. Why? Because he was awesome? No, nope. because the God he believed in was awesome through him. Everybody be encouraged. You're not awesome, neither am I. Our God is. So we'll talk about those things in the weeks to come. But this week, uh, we're going to talk about the feist. Uh, we use this word feisty as an adjective, but it comes from a noun. A feist is a small mongrel dog with spirit. Uh, he, uh, he punches outside his weight class. I have one of them. His name is Toby. He's 12 pounds of just, uh, you know, fear, fearsome terror. Uh, he, his, he has one job, sleep. Well, that's his second job. But his, his chief job is in between naps, make sure the Amazon guy, Amazon guy doesn't come into our house. And so he sits by our front window, and anytime the Amazon guy pulls up, he loses his ever-loving mind. And I, listen, just to encourage you, Toby is batting a 1,000. No Amazon guy has ever come into our house. He's pretty proud of himself every time he barks and the guy leaves. You can almost see him like walking away and being like, all right, Mike, we're, Mark, we're safe, we're good. Okay, uh, uh, but that's him, all bark. Uh, not a lot of bite. It's, it's interesting when he does finally have, uh, you know, the, the door opened and, uh, uh, you know, like uh, dogs in our neighborhood will be on their leash with their owners and he'll be on our, he'll be like, rah, 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 rah. and then all of a sudden, uh, like yesterday, we were walking our, our dog. We let him off the leash as, as we get into our yard. Our neighbor's dog, a big, huge boxer looking thing, massive dog, comes running down. It's just a gentle giant, right? But he comes loping down our lane. And uh, we didn't notice him coming, and uh, so Eleanor and I were down talking, and we turned to, you know, say, Toby, come on, and, and Toby's just like this at this dog, <laughs> just kind of staring. So lots of bark, not a lot of bite, 
Uh, he's a feist. David has both, bark and bite, and we're going to talk about him today. Verse 12, here we go. David was the son uh, of an Ephrathite, not uh, uh, someone we talk about a lot, but uh, Ephrathah is a character in our scriptures. He's kind of the founder, or the, the father of Bethlehem uh, there in Judah. His dad, David's uh, dad, was a guy named Jesse. Uh, Jesse had a friend. He, she'd always been a good friend. Anyway, all right. Uh, that's dumb. That's the last service. All right. Uh, it's a song, Jesse's Girl. doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, so David's dad was Jesse. He had eight sons. Anybody remember where David was in the eight? If you guessed eight, you're right. He's the last guy, okay? Uh, and so uh, of the eight, David is, is eighth. Uh, and in the days uh, of Saul, this man, Jesse, was already old and advanced in years. That's important for the story because Jesse would normally be the guy from his family who would go as a conscript to the Israeli army and fight on behalf of his household, but he's too old, so he has sent in his place three of his sons. It says that in verse 13. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, uh, the next to him was Abinadab, secondborn, and the third was a guy named Shema. all right? Um, we met these guys a chapter ago when the prophet Samuel comes to Jesse's house and uh, under the direction of God to anoint the next king. Uh, Eliab's the first one that uh, Samuel sees. And Eliab's this big, tall, strapping guy, you know, professional wrestler type. And, uh, and, and, and Samuel looks at him and says, oh, that's our guy. And you remember what God said to Sam? No. Quit looking on the outward appearances. I, I look inside. I, I look for the man who has a heart after mine, and I look for the man who is the man of my heart. And, and that was David, and he wasn't even there at the start of the anointing process. They had to go fetch him uh, out in the fields with the sheep. Uh, and so uh, he comes in, he's anointed. Eliab was there with the rest of his brothers, Abinadab, Shema, and the others. Uh, and they watched this, this youngest, this punk, this middle schooler, uh, get anointed to become the next king of Israel. That'll come into play here in a few verses. David was the youngest, it says, verse uh, 14. The three eldest, uh, like we've already heard, followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep in Bethlehem. Again, if you're here, uh, a couple weeks ago we talked about how David became uh, the guitarist, the, the resident mus uh, musical therapist for Saul who had uh, been plagued by an evil spirit. Uh, and so uh, you can read that story if you get bored with this sermon. Go ahead, do it right now. But uh, uh, he, he's there, and he's kind of working a part-time gig. Apparently, over time, uh, he's spending you know, some uh, time in the palace, and then he's heading back home, uh, probably because uh, these three sons were at the, the front, and, and their duties at the household were not covered while they were on the, uh, you know, the, the military side of things. And so David has even more uh, with his other brothers to take care of, and so he's going back and forth between Saul and home. For 40 days, verse 16, it says the Philistine came forward and took his stand, the Philistine being this guy Goliath, uh, and he'd do it morning and evening. Uh, it was two-a-days, like football, uh, preseason. Uh, he would uh, walk out after breakfast, taunt Israel and its army. Israel would chicken out, okay? Uh, the Philistines would go back to their tents at the high noon uh, hottest part of the day, eat their food, take a nap maybe, and then Goliath would be like, well, I'll go ask again. And he does this over and over, 40, 40 days, twice a day, which is how much, Tom? 35, you're right. No, it's 80, 80 if you're keeping score at home. Uh, 80 times he's come out and, and, and issued the challenge, and Israel has failed to send someone to fight. So, uh, so back at the farm, verse 17. Uh, Jesse, as that's going on at the front, says to his son David, hey, take for your brothers an ephah. Uh, an ephah is 40 pounds, roughly, 
of uh, parched grain. This is like uh, pre-flour, right? These are future loaves. He says, so take them some flour to grind and make their own cakes or their own uh, loaves, and then take them some that we've already made, these 10 loaves, uh, and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers. This was not more than a care package. This was essentially how the the army would eat, okay? In our uh, age, we have the best military in the world. Thank you for those of you who serve. Uh, But many of you serve in support roles. You're not the ones fighting on the front lines. You're making sure they have all that they need to be able to defend us and keep our freedoms. Uh, and so uh, we are a, a well-oiled machine, certainly not perfect, but we have the, the, the foresight to know that these are the needs for us to win our fights. Um, when you went to fight back then, people would just leave. There was no infrastructure of supply, and so your family had to make sure you had your food. And this was one of Dave's tasks. Fifteen miles David would walk from Bethlehem to this battle line with these sandwiches and other supplies to make sure that his brothers had what they needed. Now Jesse says to David, also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. Uh, there was a guy in charge and uh, like a good parent who uh, might send an apple every once in a while with his kid to school to make sure the, the teacher knows that we know that you're doing a, a great job and please don't flunk our child. Um, uh, perhaps that's what Jesse's doing here. Uh, perhaps he knows the commander, whatever the case is. Uh, some Some cheese slices are headed his way. Uh, He says, see if your brothers are well. And then bring me some token from them. Check up on your bros. Give them the sandos. uh, And then uh, bring me a token from them. This is kind of where I picture in our day and age, we take an ussy. A selfie is just you. An ussy is you and everybody else. And so we take out our phones, and we'd all smile, Dave with his three brothers, and we'd all get in there, and, you know, we'd try to make sure it's up high so our chin... You know, double chin doesn't show. And, uh, and we take our picture and then we, you know, text it to our dad. And that would be how he would know. In, our, in, that age, or in this age, that's what we do. But in that age, that was not around. So uh, they would actually take, you know, uh, snips of their garments, something of their jewelry or whatever, and they would give it as a sign to their dad uh, that uh, he was well. It's kind of the inverse of that is like when Joseph was, you know, killed or fake killed and sold into slavery. Remember that story? His brothers brought what? A token. This is his coat. This is his, the proof uh, that he has, uh, you know, met his end. Uh, it's the same kind of picture. All right. Saul, verse 19, and they, the brothers, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah, and then the rest of the fellows in the army of Israel were there in the valley of Elah. And everybody give me some air quotes. Give me some air quotes. Fighting. Yeah, nobody was fighting, okay? Uh, They were fighting with the Philistines. No, they weren't. They were lined up on a hill uh, facing the Valley of Elah. The Philistines were lined up there. They kept sending the big guy out, asking for just one person to come and fight and end this deal. If if I win, you serve us. If you win, we'll serve you, whatever. Uh, But uh, not a lot of fighting going on. Kind of silly after a while. Can you just, you know, picture it for a month and some uh, you know, these two armies staring at each other, yeah, and no fighting to be, uh, to be seen. Now, let me pause. We're going to get into the rest of our, our verses today, uh, but I want to set up what we're going to read, and I want you to understand the importance of these verses in our lives. David uh, has been anointed the king of Israel. He's still probably a young man, maybe just out of high school in his early 20s uh, by this time, but uh, still a young guy, too young. He had to be 20 at least to go fight in the war. Um, so some scholars think he might even be under 20. Uh, 
But, but here he is. He's been uh, you know, celebrated uh, by the prophet Samuel, anointed the next king of Israel. And uh, that's the, the mantle that awaits him. He's going to be the boss. He's going to lead a country. Can you imagine your middle schooler being anointed the next president of the United States? Nope, right? Uh, but that's what's happened in Jesse's house. My kid was uh, anointed by God to become the next king. And so um, as we read his story and his emergence as the king, we're going to go through lots of ups and downs, mostly downs. Like David's going to be you know, uh, Israel's most wanted here pretty soon. Saul is going to put a price on his head. He's going to hunt him, uh, you know, just uh, uh, with everything he's got. And, and David is just going to barely squeak out. And it's only until Saul is, you know, uh, spoiler alert again, uh, killed in battle that David, you know, uh, takes the throne. And we're a long way from there. So what happens in this story is certainly uh, the, the history of what went on, but it's also the telling of the preparation of a king. This, this shepherd boy will become king, and sure, he's got some things on board, but all of the circumstances that he will face will shape him as a leader as he emerges on the throne. Uh, I don't know where you lead or if you lead. Some of us are leaders, coaches, teachers, bosses, Pastors, how's it going? Um, uh, leadership, Any, anybody? Is, is it easy? No, leadership's difficult. It's a challenge for anybody who's tried it. And some of you are like, well, I'm not a leader. I guess I'm just going to put my head, uh, earbuds in and watch the Ryder Cup. Um, it's a golf match. It doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, but uh, don't check out on me. Everybody in here, look at me. Everybody in here is a leader of someone. An influencer of someone, and I'm not I'm talking about selfies online or posts or whatever, but I'm saying God has given you a downline in life, whether it's your kids, uh, whether it's you know, someone at work or, or someone that you, you know, uh, are responsible for leading here in God's church, God has made you his influencer in life. And so we may not ascend to a throne and, and be the king of Israel, but we have things to learn from, from David as he becomes the leader that he will be. Uh, I was reading an article in Psychology Today just recently. It says, uh, because there's that big debate, are leaders born or, or are they you know, made? Um, the, the psychologists have kind of come down. It's arbitrary. But they say it's like 25, 30% born. You know, there's just certain attributes about leaders that they just got. Uh, but most of it, 75%, uh, is learned. And so David has learned and will be learning how to be a leader for God. And we can learn from him as he does so three things today on how we can, like David, uh, learn to lead and influence well on God's behalf. The first one is going to uh, be revealed here in verse 20, and this is it. Do the little things, if you're going to lead well, do the little things humbly and capably. Uh, you can learn what you need to learn about a leader uh, probably best when they're not standing in front of a group leading. If you just watch a leader when no one else is watching, you'll see what leadership is really all about because it's in those moments when the lights aren't on uh, that you really see the character of someone come out. Do the little things humbly and capably uh, that God calls you to do. Look at verse 20. David rose early in the morning and he left his sheep uh, that were in his care to a keeper. He got like a dog sitter, uh, a sub. And uh, he took those provisions that were uh, given him and commanded of him to take by his father Jesse, as Jesse had commanded. Two things. David, first of all, um, understood that as a leader, he's always a follower. In, in his father's house, his dad was the boss, even though he had been anointed king, right? Uh, and so what his dad said went. 
And he didn't question it. He just did it. Got up early to do it. Uh, and, and went and obeyed his father in bringing supplies to his brothers. Um, contrast that with the uh, other guy who's in charge, a guy named Saul. Not really great at submitting to the leaders in his life. That's what got him in trouble. It's why he got kicked off the throne. Uh, a couple different times in his story, the, the prophet of God. So God, through Samuel, comes to Saul and says, here's what we're going to do. And Saul says, that's a great idea, but I got a better one. And he chose to do something outside of the, the instruction of God through the prophet Samuel. The first time was when uh, he was uh, uh, seeking as a general to, to gain the advantage against the Philistines in a fight. And Samuel said, wait until I get there to give sacrifices to God so that we can honor him before we go fight. He's going to be the one that makes us win, so let's honor him well. So Saul, thinking, well, i got to make sacrifices to God, uh, but also understanding on the other side of his brain, uh, this is the best time to fight. We have the advantage. Takes the sacrifices that Samuel was meant to give and gives them himself. And Samuel gets there. Like I'm picturing just as the final prayer is getting at the last day, amen. And Samuel's like, what have you done? And Saul says, isn't this great? Because that's how we act when we've blown it. We try to put you know, some lipstick on that pig. Isn't this great? Right? Look what I've done. We're all set. We've got the advantage tactically. And I've, I've already given the sacrifices. You don't even have to do it. You're welcome. And Samuel says, what have you done? Well, here's what he's done. He's a leader who can't follow. And he's made a mess of what could have been a victory. The, 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 the second time it happens, it's kind of the same thing. He's going to uh, go into battle against another nation, the Amalekites. He's instructed to wipe them all out, but he keeps for himself the king, Agag, as a trophy. And he allows his people, this is another bad thing leaders do, so they listen to the people over those who are above them, and they seek to honor those under them rather than honor those above them. And so Saul listens to the people of Israel, and they all want to keep from the, the spoils of war, and he lets them keep the best of the flocks of the Amalekites. And this is, this is where Saul loses the throne. Samuel comes up and says, God is done with you. Why? Because the king couldn't listen to the king. The leader was not a good follower. And if you follow someone who is uh, not... Uh, submitted humbly to the authority of someone else and willing to do the little things so that uh, the whole thing can move forward, whatever he's leading. You should probably not be in that place. Now, I'm grateful to be in a, in a church where uh, I think uh, hopefully myself and our team understands there's just nothing that's uh, beneath us when it comes to serving our king. Whatever he needs us to do, even if it's not my job description, okay, we'll just get it done. And it's what has to happen so that he can move forward. Um, Eleanor drove past the church uh, somewhere in our region uh, that she you know, thought was funny because she knows my heart on this. Uh, it's a little church, just uh, like a storefront at the end of a, a strip mall. There's like eight designated spaces for the church. You know how they do that now? They divvy up all the spots. But the one right by the door had a big sign on it, pastor only, pastor's reserved parking spot. I, I'm not like a, a vandal uh, you know, vandalism is not my thing, but if I ever were to do vandalism, I'd go to every pastor-reserved parking sign, rip it out of the ground, and throw it through the front window of that church. I won't do that. <laughs> I won't do that. But that's what I want to do, because it is so ingrained in me that the pastor is the servant of the church, not the boss. I'm not here to, 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 to take from you everything I can. That's horrible leadership. 
I'll still lead, don't get me wrong. I'm not just going to kind of, meh, 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 meh. But my heart should be, you park close. I'll park in the, in the next neighborhood if it will honor you and give you a spot. I, was gonna, I knew I was going to preach this, so Friday night I was at the 20-year anniversary celebration of Hope for Her. There's this organization that we partner with up here on the hill, and uh, Cheryl and her team have just done an amazing job. 72,000 people over the course of 20 years have received help from Hope to Her. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And so we got together, and rightly, we celebrated all those who had served. And uh, we got done with a great dinner and had a good night together. All this room was set up with tables, and then uh, the, the night ended. And, and the team from our church that's uh, uh, responsible for taking all the tables out and putting the chairs so you could sit on them uh, started you know, coming together. And uh, just so you know, when I come to church, I'm usually wearing T-shirts and shorts, all right? Like, uh, that's my preferred garb. Uh, this isn't like super uncomfortable, but it's uncomfortable enough. Are you with me? So I'm only going to wear it for as long as I have to, and as soon as I'm done here, if you stick around by my office door, you will watch me emerge in my t-shirts and my short, uh, shorts and my hat. That's, that's how I live my life. How's it going? Uh, and so that's what I wore coming to this gala on Friday night. I, I got dressed with some clothes that I had in my office, and I was going to go get back in those things. This is my habit, and I'm putting those shorts and that shirt on, and I'm like, oh, Hey, Mark, they're setting up chairs in the, in the room of your church. Are you really going to drive out of here and let that happen? Or are you going to get your butt out there, this part of me, and, uh, uh, and start moving those chairs around with the people who are serving in that capacity? And I don't say that as a, oh, Pastor Mark helped up. I set up your chair, and I set up your chair, and I set up your chair, okay? But that is not a patch. That is me, unfortunately, not coming prepared to do that, but remembering by the behest of the Holy Spirit that my role here is to serve you there. And however that looks, that's what's got to be done. David serves humbly. He serves competently. He gets up early in the morning. He makes sure that the sheep are taken care of, as you see there in verse 20. Um, he is... Um, available as God needs him. My question to us, is that us as we influence on God's behalf? Look at the last part of verse 20. The story goes on. It says that David, uh, having gotten up early and taken the supplies and obedience to Jesse, uh, comes to the encampment as the host was going out. The host not being like the guy who seats you at a, or the young lady who seats you at a restaurant. This is the whole army host, okay? So the whole army of Israel was going out to the battle line, and this is what they did for 40 days, apparently. They stood up on their hill, so they're up here on this side of the Valley of Elah, and the Philistines are over there on their side, and they just did, you know, that scene from uh, Braveheart. They just smacked their shields and yelled their, ah, Israel, Israel, you know, and they just made all this noise up on top of this hill, and that's what they do. Got all dressed up to fight, and then stood on a hill and yelled. Lots of smoke, no fire. Toby barking, but when the, the boxer comes down the lane. <laughs> Quick question for us. Everybody understands that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been conscripted into his army. Everybody gets that, right? We are the army of the living God. As modern-day soldiers in the army of God, I wonder, are we up on the hill yelling and screaming, making all this noise? Ah! 
Or are we like we're going to read in about 20 verses, like this simple shepherd running down the hill to face what threatens the honor of our God? Huge question, always been a question for 2,000 years in the church. Am I just going to make a lot of noise, a lot of smoke, no fire? Or am I going to actually engage in this? Because here it boils down to this, and, and, and we can switch places on this you know, either-or list, but as Christians, we're, we're either hill shouters or giant fighters. We're either boat huggers or water walkers. We sang a song about that with the oceans thing, right? Uh, we were either spectators or we're players. Or those who talk and even post online a good game, but when push comes to shove, we miss the mark. We miss the opportunities that God gives us to stand in his defense. The armies of Israel, lots of yelling, very little fighting. It's only until a kid charges down the hill uh, that the, the victory is gained. You know, I can't help but think that God wants us to be that kid in whatever our giant situations are in life. I don't know what yours is. It could be sharing the gospel with a friend that you know that you know that you know needs to hear it from you. It could be making a stand with a group of friends where you continually capitulate to their preferences and you know that this dishonors God, this behavior is not what I'm supposed to do and you just don't want to lose the friends so you keep going along with it but God needs you to make a stand. It could be in your own personal life that you go to war with whatever the sin is that's holding you back as you seek to pursue him. But whatever the case may be, don't just stand on the hill and sing the songs and yell the, yell the chants. Get down in the valley and fight. Israel and the Philistines, verse 21, drew up again for battle, army against army. David, uh, as he's gotten there with all of the supplies, leaves the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and then runs, wants to see what's going on as he hears the noise and the yelling. He runs to the ranks uh, to, to find his brothers and to see what's going on. Uh, it says that as he uh, found them and talked to them, apparently he, he picks them out of the crowd, um, it was then that the champion, Goliath of Gath, this Philistine, uh, comes out of the ranks of the rest of the army of the Philistines like he had done for however many days, and he speaks the same words as before. And here this interesting sentence appears in the account. It says, David heard him. And you're like, yeah. Everybody must have quieted down so that the big guy could have his say once again. It's the first time that David's hearing these words. And they use this word for, uh, you know, David hearing him that is uh, the Hebrew word Shema. Everybody say Shema. Uh, Shema is this word that is uh, given to a, a prayer in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And the, the nation of Israel, the Jews, pray this prayer three times a day. It starts like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. That word hear is how that prayer starts, and it's how it got, it's got its name. It's, it's the Shema prayer, Okay. But this word Shema uh, means to, to listen and to pay attention, which are not guarantees in the hearing experience. Are you with me? Husbands? Anybody? I'll pick on us for a second. I have listened to entire conversations from my wife, and as she's gotten done and said, what do you think? I've had to say, huh? Because the words were happening and hitting my ears, but I was somewhere far, far away. That happens at church a bunch, too. People come in here, and some of you are like looking at your screens. Because oh. <laughs> you're just like I was growing up. 
You, you come and sit in a room where, where someone with a deep voice barks at you for too long, and uh, you nod at what you think are the right times and, uh, and you know, try to give me eye contact every once in a while, but you're somewhere else. And if you're just getting back, welcome, but I'm talking about you, right? <laughs> now, I, I grew up going to, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I grew up going to church, and I don't remember a sermon uh, my whole childhood, my whole life. I was, I've told this story before, but I was the sound guy starting at 13. And the way the sound booth was constructed in this Angry Baptist church that I was in, uh, it was uh, uh, an enclosed room behind the organ that my father, who was the worship pastor at this church, played at. Remember the organ? Yeah. And so he would play the organ, and I could see the back of his head, and I had uh, two knobs, uh, the choir knob and the preacher knob. That was the soundboard. And my whole job was to turn the choir knob down when the singing was over and to turn the pastor knob up. Now, some punk high schooler earlier in, in the history of this church had seen to it that he would uh, put basically a car stereo in this little room. And so there were speakers in a car stereo uh, in this room. And uh, as soon as I would turn the, the speaker knob up, I would turn the monitor in this room down and I would listen to Casey Kasem in the top 40 uh, every Sunday morning. Uh, from like middle school until I graduated high school. That's why I can tell you who was number six in December of uh, 1984 uh, on, the, on the top 40 list, but I can't tell you really anything about what I heard because I didn't hear it. I was in the space and not paying attention. Now, these, these, these Israelite soldiers weren't hearing this like David was. Why? Because they'd heard it all before. I mean, however many times, the same taunts, and it's like Charlie Brown's teacher after a while. Wah, 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 right? But they're also not hearing it because they're leaving. Look what it says in the next verse. It says in verse 24 that the men of Israel, when they saw the man, this giant, one more time, they did what they always do. They left the hill because, you know, send me someone to fight. And Saul, anybody volunteer? Step forward one time. And everybody went, mm -hmm, right? And, and uh it was just that was the beginning of them walking down the hill. And, and they, they, they ceased to listen because they were leaving. Bad habit that I have as a husband. I leave a lot of times in the middle of conversations with my wife because I think of something, and if I don't go do it right now, I won't do it. Is anybody with me on this? And so she'll keep talking as she looks out the window and contemplates life, and I'll walk out of the room thinking I could still do this. I could still talk, and I could do what I need to do. And just so you're uh, you know, aware, uh, keeping score at home, that is impossible. You cannot walk out of a room and into your closet and carry on a conversation with your wife. But that, <laughs> it, just to help you guys out. But that's what these guys are doing. They're walking down. Look what it says in verse 25. When they got down to the bottom of the hill, they hadn't heard uh, Goliath like David had because you know, same stuff, different day. And so they get down at the bottom of the hill, and apparently there's been like something posted online that needs their attention. Uh, they say, the men of Israel gathered, and they said, have you seen this man who has come up? Yeah, no, duh. He's come up every day for 40 days or whatever it is. Um, can you, but it's kind of the sense of, can you believe this guy? Keeps coming out every day, challenging us. Can you, have you seen this guy? Uh, surely he has come up to defy Israel, no, duh. Uh, but guess what? I just found out the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches. And on top of that, he'll make him his son-in-law. He'll marry off the princess, a girl named Michael, uh, to, to whoever kills this giant. And then on top of that, if that wasn't enough, uh, his family and his family members will be tax-free for the rest of their lives. 
Uh, who's lining up for tax-free for the rest of your life? Anybody? Anybody want that? Yeah. So three things. Some kind of you know, monetary prize, the lottery, uh, a wife, and a place in royalty, and your family tax-free for the rest of their existence. Well, David hears this. It says in verse 26 that uh, David, who probably uh, being the last one to leave the hill as everybody else was walking behind him, I picture him being like, hey guys, where are you going? Uh, he keeps listening to the Philistine yell, and then he comes down and he's like, what is going on? How, and he hears this conversation, and he says to the men uh, who stood by him, who were talking about these rewards, what shall be done again? Can you say that again? What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? And the scholars have you know, debated why uh, David asked this first question. Uh, I'm just going to ask another one in a second. We'll get to it. But uh, scholars have wondered, is, is, has David just not actually heard? And like he's just piecing it together because, you know, did I hear that right? And, and, and make sure he's clear. Or has he heard absolutely clearly? And he is beyond belief that this is even necessary in this conversation about this, this big hairy Philistine who is defying the army of his God. Wait a minute. We need extra impetus in this equation, we, we need someone to get a lot of money and marry a princess and, and go tax-free for the rest of our lives for someone to go face this dude? Is that really what is necessary here? You know, sometimes as Christians, we kind of be like those guys in that crowd. Did you hear? If we do this for God, he'll bless us. He'll give us this, and he'll give us this, and he'll give us this. It'll be great. And our Christianity becomes, uh, hey, God, if I do this for you, what do I get? Hey, God, if I do this for you, if I'm faithful, will you be faithful to me and give me all that I want? And we sing songs that certainly go in that direction. And is everybody grateful that God is no man's debtor, that he blesses us and loves doing it? Is everybody grateful for that? But does everybody understand that us being in servitude to him, we should not require payment for our service to him? In fact, we should be so uh, in awe of him and so in love with him that whatever uh, is happening that would defame him or defy him, we should want to just defend him and honor him, no matter what the cost to us, regardless of whether we receive in the wake of what we do. David's like, seriously? we got to sweeten the pot on this thing? We, we understand this because of his next question. It was from uh, this next question that we uh, get this next principle of how we should influence and lead on God's behalf. The first thing is, uh, do the little things, humbly, and uh, you know, correctly, competently. But the next thing is, is we gotta be really great if we're gonna lead on God's behalf, seeing things as they really are. Everybody understand that like, uh, we have flesh eyes and spirit eyes. And Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians. I just read it with my life group on Thursday. Um, you can look at the world through the eyes of your flesh, which is what the, you know, the, Israel, or the Israelite army is basically doing that. Big guy, can't win, let's go. But David's not looking at this situation through earth eyes. He's looking at it through heaven eyes. And he's seeing things as God sees things. And it's uh, invoking a, a, a different response from him. Uh, he's, he's seeing things for what they really are. Look what it says in the second part of verse 26. He says, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who is this clown? Now he brings up his uh, circumcision, 
which uh, in that day and age was a sign of your belonging to God and his, his people or not. And so where, where the, the Israelite army says, hey, did you hear about this man? Did you see this man who's out there defying us? Uh, David rightly defines him for what he is. He's, he's this uncircumcised Philistine. He is this enemy of God. He's not just some soldier from the other team. He's defying our God. That's where the next part goes. Who does he think he is that he should defy the armies of God? The, the men before him said, uh, this, this one who comes to defy Israel, and that's bad, certainly. We don't our country, want our countries to be maligned. Uh, I love our country. I don't want people talking bad about it. Uh, but David's not concerned with Israel. He's like, who's this clown that's defying the armies of the living God? How can this be? Why are we letting this happen, you guys? See, David... Uh, uh, understands what's worth fighting for. Do you understand what's worth fighting for? We get, we, we get into arguments, certainly in life, but, but even into confrontations over the dumbest stuff, right? Ever had a fight that was just over the dumbest thing? Uh, I usually reserve my kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, getting my hackles up for, for, for more important things. Like one time we were at a, a theme park and my kids were young and, uh, and, and uh, people, uh, parents can drink at theme parks. Did you know this? People can get kind of uh, soused at, uh, at uh, Disney World or wherever we were. And uh, so this guy was drunk, and he was kind of just stumbling around, and he bumped into my kid. Kind of knocked my kid off kilter. He didn't fall. He didn't cut himself or anything like that. But some big dodo hit my kid, okay? And I went from being angry about being at the theme park because I hate him to... to uh, to wanting to kill this guy. Has anybody been there? He just bumped into my kid, and it was go time. Now, we didn't fight. You don't, you have, you don't look it up on Tampa Times. I, I'm not in there. But, uh, but that's the kind of thing that gets me going. Don't get me started on my wife. My wife will come home, and she works in her world, and, and, and she'll tell me stories about people who are you know, a part of this leadership structure or a part of this part of her world that, that basically dissed her, Okay. And I hear the beginnings of that story, and I have a hard time paying attention to the rest of it because I want the guy's number. I want to tell him to meet me in the parking lot at the mall, okay? And I want to beat him. Okay, I don't do this because we all know, turn the other cheek, right? You know, walk the extra mile, all that stuff. I'm a Christian. Everybody calm down, all right? But I'm telling you, you mess with my girl, you're going to have to deal with me. That's just how it is. And I've gone to dinners where these bozos show up, and I'm like, is that him? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, I'll be right back. No, I don't do that. Uh, but I have to pray. I'm like, Lord, calm me down. And, and listen, obviously, it wouldn't be right for your pastor to get in a fight, but it is right for me to be angry about someone taking advantage of someone I love. There is no greater love than this, than someone lays down their life for a brother, a sister, a husband, a wife, we fight for what we love. And that's the disconnect with this army in Israel and David. The army in Israel loves themselves. I don't want to die. More than they love their God. He deserves my defense. And David has no cares about his well-being. He's pretty sure God's got him. But he's like, hey man, that big hairy guy cannot get away with this. And come back in the next couple weeks, we'll see how that goes. But he sees it for real. He sees what's really going on. 
And he's going to act according to what he sees. And our big problem is sometimes we just don't see it. We capitulate to falsehoods and, 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 and to the, you know, the turnings of our culture. And we fail to defend what matters most because it doesn't matter most to us. And that's what the problem is in the Christ family. He asked two questions. Is it really that we get all this stuff if we fight him? And how can it be that we haven't fought him? The people only answer the first question. Look what it says in verse 27. The people say to him, hey man, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. They're, they're not even here in the uncircumcised Philistine bit. <laughs> Armies of the living God. Yeah, no, seriously. Money, princess, taxes. It's awesome. Hmm. Last thing, and I'll let you go home. You know, the first thing that we need to do if we're going to influence for God, um, take care of the little things, humbly, competently. Uh, the second thing is see things with God's eyes. See the truth. And get riled about, up about what really matters, and that's him. And then finally, just know you're going to take some lumps, but keep going. <laughs> Anybody uh, love Jesus and follow Jesus and kind of paid for it every once in a while? Yeah, this is what happens, okay? Um, uh, in this world, there will be trouble, Jesus said. But fear not, I've overcome the world. Let's go. Take your lumps, and let's keep going. So the lumps are going to come in the form of a family member here for David. Look what happens next. Eliab, the oldest son of Jesse, uh, comes upon this conversation that David's having with these other soldiers, soldiers and uh, he speaks to, the, uh, to his kid brother, and he says this. His anger was kindled, it says, and he says, why have you come down? Why are you even here? Now, let's, let's take it easy on Eliab. He's been at the front for a month now or something. Uh, he's stressed out. Okay, he knows he's a big strapping guy. He's probably one of the best candidates to fight this dude, but he's a chicken, so he's a little embarrassed, a little ashamed. He's certainly jealous. Okay, we can guess that he's jealous that as the firstborn, he was passed over for the anointing uh, of, of you know, kingship, and his little brother, you know, the kid who watches the sheep, seriously, he gets the, so, so there's all kinds of dynamics going on, but Eliab, uh, the older brother, for the first time and only time in history, in any family, <laughs> comes to a member of his family and basically just dresses him down and, and, and essentially tells him to go home. What are you even doing here? Uh, and, and with whom have you left the sheep uh, that you're supposed to be watching in the wilderness? You're just a shepherd. Go back to your sheep. And then he's, listen, if I had time and I don't, I'll preach this some other day. But then he does the cardinal sin of any relationship. He assumes he knows what's in the heart of his younger brother. He says, uh, uh, I know your presumption. I know what's going on inside of you. And I know the evil that's in your heart. He hasn't heard about the sandwiches. He's going to feel really dumb as, you know, David says, here's your sandwich. Uh, but uh, he, he thinks that David has left his sheep for his bloodlust. He wants to come to the front, even though he's not in the army, and he wants to watch the fighting. He, I know what's going on with you, David, you little punk. I know the evil in your heart. For you have just come to see the battle. David says something interesting to him. He says, what have I done now? What does that tell you? This is not the first time that he and Eliab have had words. Uh, again, only time in family history that there's been a long-running uh, you know, sibling rivalry of any kind. Is everybody grateful for that, that all families get along now? Aren't you looking forward to Thanksgiving? It's going to be awesome, right? Because there's no problems in families ever. If you're new, that's sarcasm. That's a lot of sarcasm. Yeah, usually the people who love us most hurt us most. The people who should be best are the worst. 
They have powers that other people don't because we're them and they're us and they can hurt us in ways. But here's, here's something that's real important in leadership. Jesus says this to his followers as, as his family is coming to get him. They think he's crazy. And they, they're basically saying to Jesus, come home, you, you need some rest. All this Messiah talk is kind of wackadoo, right? And, and Jesus turns to his followers on that day and he says, hey, unless you hate your mother and father and your brothers and your sisters, you can have no part of following me. And some people hear that verse and they're like, awesome. Jesus is sanctioning my hatred for my family. This is great. I've already had it. Now he says it's okay. He's not saying it's okay to hate your family. What he is saying is that your love for him should make your love, which you're supposed to have for your family, look like hate. It's talking about supremacy and ultimate and so David has this argument with his older brother, who he should esteem and honor, because he's his older brother. But he just says, really, again? All I said was a word. I'm just asking some questions. And that's it. There's no more conversation between Eliab and his, his, his younger brother. There's no more like, I'm going to kowtow to you. David just goes about doing what he's going to do. He's the only one to come down off the hill and fight the giant. Why? Because he didn't let his detractors stop him in his pursuit of honoring God. And so now, as we leave here to be God's influencers in the world that we live in, let me ask you one more time. You taking care of the little things? You humble? Are you careful with all the details, all the little bits of what God has given you? It's gonna matter, it's gonna be what people see. And you're gonna earn their follow or not in those moments, even more than the upfront stuff. Can you, can you see clearly through the lies that are so often perpetrated and, and perpetuated in our world? It's going to be crucial for you to choose the right path in honoring God. And certainly, he should be your first love. And you should seek to defend him above all else in life. There's going to be people who come against you. People who say you're crazy, who want to put you in your place. And all I can say about that is that God has got you. Follow him and honor him above all else. And he'll direct your paths. Can you stand with us as we sing?